And welcome back. Long time. Almost a month. I think the last one when I looked at the archive was uh, February 12th. So this is being recorded on March 2nd. 10th. March 10th. Got very distracted over the last month. A lot of other things going on. So I was neglecting all of you listeners. But I feel just as neglected because I only had a few people demanding that I get my act together and start recording again. I was going to do it anyway, whether you like it or not. But in the meantime, there's been just, you know, it's hard to know where to begin. And especially when there's stuff going on like, oh yeah, the president and the porn star or that Sam Numbnuts or Numford or whatever his name was, is. And his Monday morning media meltdown. There's all this stuff out there that's really easy to just want to just rag on and, you know, the Russia investigation starting to get interesting, the Mueller investigation rather, um, hence the numbnuts breakdown. But the media is really more interested in the breakdown versus what what's actually going on there. And there are some serious questions to be had about whether it's uh, ethical for so-called journalists to be grabbing a guy who is clearly in the middle of either some sort of substance abuse or uh, uh, some sort of mental breakdown and putting him up there as, you know, basically a, 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 an actor in this big reality TV game. You know, it's, it's, it's just like The Apprentice. It's part reality TV, part game show. And the media is bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. So that's as much as I'm going to say about all that, probably. And frankly, there's so much other stuff to keep track of. It's I, I, you know, I wouldn't know if I was repeating other people already if I tried to weigh in. Um, Marcy Wheeler on the Zero Hour this week, I gave, you know, she breaks down that Mueller investigation great, um, bigly. Is bigly a synonym for great? Anyway. I'm just going to go through some other news stories that you may have missed. Um, it's going to be a, a less coherent episode as I try to gather it all together and pick up steam here again. You know, it's more of a sigh than a uh, rant as far as a waste of breath goes. A sigh is just as much a waste of breath as uh, telling the truth. So here's a story that's actually, you know, it's kind of old at this point. It's from January when the numbers finally came through. But it's worth repeating every time I open my mouth. The cost of climate change in uh, 2017 is estimated at $306 billion. And that's really only the economic, the, the business financial cost that we can calculate. There's a whole, you can't measure the human suffering involved in that. The nor'easters we've been seeing, and that's been, you know, the down power lines and stuff that, you know, in Massachusetts, they're, they've been all balls and bluster for years about how they know how to do winter better than anyone. And that's great and all. When climate changes, um, you really can't, you can't know that you can deal with something until it hits you and you can't deal with it, right? Um. Uh, there's a more elegant way to say that, but 
So $306 billion in cost in climate change in 2017. And just kind of keep that number in your head as this year goes on and as we start seeing our, the 2018's climate catastrophes become more apparent. And, and anyone who is saying that, oh yeah, the future costs of climate change are going to be so much, we better start investing now, they're, they're missing the picture because we're paying present costs for climate change. We could talk about the future costs of climate change back in 2004, maybe, maybe, but in reality, it, it, all of the severe weather events are now influenced by the fact that our climate has changed. The Arctic is soaring above freezing, even though there's no sun on it, and that has major impacts throughout the entire northern hemisphere, but the planet isn't isolated like that, so that has effects also in the southern hemisphere. Just, a, you know, your climate primer. This is from March 7th. Wells Fargo is the go-to bank for gun makers and the NRA. Over at Bloomberg. You know, this is, this is Wells Fargo. As though, if you had forgotten how much of a scumbag company they were, they were the ones funding the Dakota Access Pipeline, the, the energy transfer partners. Um, and, you know... The thing is, all of the banks are sleazeballs. Any bank that's not a community bank, it's in their interest to be just major sleazeballs. Uh, every time you drive into D.C. now and on New York Ave or Route 50, there's a big sign for HSBC talking about, uh, oh, what the hell is the message? Basically, you know, we're your community partners. We're, we're a trusted bank. And it's like, yeah, you are willing to, it's, it's, it's. It's really amazing how much they have to spend on PR because they're all crooks. They're all criminals. HSBC had to pay like the largest fine paid to the United States by a bank at some point because they were laundering money for drug dealers and arms smugglers. Which is hilarious because the United States has actually had its hands in a lot of that <laughs> over the years. So... Their banks are all crooks. Wells Fargo, though. Back to Wells Fargo. Energy transfer partners, backers, and all this. Um, so that was their last sleazeball thing. But now they've emerged as... I'm just reading straight from the article now. Wells Fargo & Co. has emerged from preferred as the preferred financier for the U.S. gun industry. The bank has helped two of the biggest U.S. firearm and ammunition companies access $431.1 million in loans and bonds since December 2012, when the gun control debate gained steam after the school shooting in Newtown, Connecticut. That's according to data compiled by Bloomberg. That puts it on the top list of banks arranging funding for gun makers. They also have a, Wells Fargo also has a long relationship with the National Rifle Association. Again, reading straight from the article here, inherited from the banks that Wells took over, right? So through mergers and acquisitions, they've inherited. Uh, 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 this is a huge relationship with the NRA. How big is the relationship with the NRA? The San Francisco-based Wells Fargo created a $28 million line of credit for the NRA and operates the primary accounts for the pro-Second Amendment groups, financial documents show. So, while companies like uh, Dix and Delta Airlines are distancing themselves from the NRA, which is, man... The private market coming around to just bite the Republicans in the ass, right? Wells Fargo's just fine. They 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 don't care. Um, 
need to you need to probably go check out because this was totally drowned out by the media too. Like the Citibank carve out that they're trying to push through in this Dodd Frank rollback bill, bipartisan bill going through the Senate. Citibank, uh, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs. They're all just crooks and they're stealing your money. And 401ks, they'll, they'll handle all your 401ks too. Now I'm going up kind of a field here, far afield, but it's always worth pointing out the 401ks are a scam too. And the, the creators and the first proponents of the 401k have come out and said as much that it, you know this, this doesn't work the way they intended it to. And there is a good article out just recently, and I wish I had pulled it up before I sat down and started talking, but I needed to sit down and start talking because otherwise you, know, you, you, you can over-prepare for everything. But the article is saying basically that 401ks are intentionally moving people's savings, what should be savings for retirement, into passive uh, uh, investment accounts that you know no one ever checks the fees or cares to try to manage their 401k, right? Not no one. Some people do. But it's very difficult to do it. It's not a transparent investment option. You'd be better off uh, taking that money and keeping your mattress, really. No, that's probably that might not be true. But putting it into a CD or or, or buying government uh, bonds, they're safer and they grow at a more consistent rate. Four hundred one ks are at the whims of the market, and as we've ta- as I've talked about here before, you can check out other uh, earlier podcasts. The market isn't isn't has nothing to do with the economy. It has more to do with um, People creating risk where there is none and risk-averse behavior and speculation with other people's money. Which all sounds very contradictory, so I'll have to break that down in another episode because I've already hit 10 minutes here. I haven't even gotten to my second story. Here's your, I don't know, you you never want to say irony because then there's always someone who's going to be like, that's not really quite irony. Charles Koch complains about corporate influence in politics and surprising op-ed. He's really upset about these tariffs, as a lot of the Republicans are. And I'm upset about the tariffs, too, because they're just so um, ill-conceived, these particular ones, and whimsical. Literally, it's whimsical. It's on a whim that Trump declared these would come out the way they will, and they're still working it out because he has no concept of how this works. You see that uh, he... he asked China to reduce the trade deficit by $1 billion and then came out you know, in a tweet, of course, right? So he capitalized all the letters, O, B, D, $1 billion. And then he came back like Dr. Evil and demand, it was like, oh, it's supposed to be $100 billion because it's like a $300 billion, more than $300 billion trade deficit we run with China. So $1 billion is less, it's Less than 10%, I think it's less than 5% of the debt. It's basically one day of trading is what I read. So back to Charles Koch. Our lawmakers must act on behalf of all Americans, not just the privileged few. What? Okay. And he goes on. When large companies can pressure politicians to force everyday Americans to fork over unearned millions, we should all question the fairness of the system. He writes, our entire economy is rife with cronyism. His original op-ed is over at the Washington Post. I'm reading this from uh, the Huffington Post. 
it's it's incredible because these are the guys who pushed through this tax scam and and they're going to they spend tens of millions of dollars to get the tax law uh, passed between them and their companies the Charles and David Koch and all of their companies and subsidiaries they're estimated to save more than 1 billion dollars in taxes or get back um Charles Koch, his wife, and Koch Industries gave Speaker of the House Paul Ryan and his PAC $500,000 in campaign contributions just days after the House passed its version of the tax bill. Well, Charles Koch's going to be hurt by the tariffs. Of that tax would be a much smarter way to go about this, but I'm not sure uh, Donald Trump understands how that would work. Also, I'm going to try to stop using his last name, just Donald. Speaking of pipelines and uh, and uh, sleazeballs, CNBC reports from Tom DeChristopher, which is hilarious. He's, Tim DeChristopher is a great activist, uh, environmental activist. Uh, you should look him up. T-I-M space D-E. C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R. Tim DeChristopher. Check him out. This article is from Tom DeChristopher. D-I instead. Pipeline CEOs vow to fight back against environmental activism and sabotage. They're afraid they're losing the battle of public opinion on social media. The industry needs to anticipate challenges from activists and leave no room for projects to be appealed in courts or in the halls of regulatory agencies, one CEO said. They act, they just want to take away any citizen's participation, and they want the government out of it, too. It's incredible. Um, but these these fossil fuel CEOs are basically, they, see, they, they act as though they're feudal lords. Just the subheads of this article are incredible. Executives from major pipeline companies say environmental activists have become more intense, coordinated, and sophisticated in their campaigns against energy infrastructure. Flashback, the cost of weather climate disasters in 2017 was $306 billion. Uh, Yeah, that's why people are getting more intense. People are losing their homes. People are losing their families. People are dying. And the energy industry is going, well, we have to make sure no one has any recourse. Ryan Zinke wants the Interior Department to be a partner with oil companies. Ryan Zinke, you know, I, well, I, 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 I did a rant about him a few uh, a, a month or so ago. You can check it out in the archive down there. But, you know, he, the guy doesn't know. He, he casts his fly fishing reel backwards, which I wouldn't know because I don't fly fish, admittedly. But I also wouldn't pretend like I, I, I was some sort of keen fly fisherman just to pander for some Western votes. When in fact I don't know how to fly fish, but apparently he he he, he sets his reel backwards or something to this effect. He 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 wants so we have the government basically saying, or the people in government, the people inside dismantling the government from the inside, Ryan Zinke and Scott Pruitt and these folks, all saying we're going to be buddy buddy with the oil and gas industry, and we don't want to you know inhibit their. He he calls it he calls it un-American that there are long regulatory review processes. Now he's saying this the same week that the monitoring from Barack Obama era uh, Barack Obama era regulation uh, shows that there's like massive widespread groundwater contamination around all these coal mines or coal I'm sorry coal power plants around the country. 
and we don't know exactly the extent or how that water, that contamination is migrating towards people or drinking wells or what. And uh, Ryan Zinke saying the regulatory process is too stringent. It's blocking too many projects. And of course, the oil and gas industry wants to, you know, basically, again, block any citizen recourse and have the power of government. I mean, these guys, their wet dream is to pass that North Carolina bill that failed a year or so ago, deeming anyone who interfered, any protester, basically an economic terrorist. This is what these guys really want, because the people are really, they, they want you to be a zombie. They want you to be a passive consumer who doesn't care about the death and destruction that, that, that you know, lights your house. They don't want you to be able to have, and, you know, there is this issue. Even solar panels have toxic components to them, the rare earth minerals and all this. But we're getting better. Meanwhile, the interior is spending $139,000 to fix the doors in Senator Zink, or Secretary Zinke's office. Now, apparently it rains a lot. Um, not yeah, it, it rains in D.C., obviously, but apparently when it rains, there's like water that comes in. It pours into one of the doors like a sieve. And they're, of course, going, well, the government contracting process is, is out of whack, and that may be the case. Um, but any time Republicans are talking about fixing things, again, it's, they, aren't, they don't know how to fix anything, any, you know beyond what it means to like fix a dog you know they want to completely neuter any uh any government program that that they set out to fix scare quotes there fix you can hear them in my voice but i'm also doing them (sighs) tax cuts will uh save healthcare companies billions but not patients of course not because they won't pass on their savings the health system, the health industry in this, uh, and that's what it is. It's a hit. It's an industry. It has nothing to do with care. It has nothing to do with insurance, because the entire point of the health insurance companies is to deny you care. Um, and that's actually, you know, I've been on for twenty minutes. Uh, I, I've made a few points. I've kind of gotten the rust out of my voice. You've stayed it tuned in this long. I hope you tune in next time. I promise it won't be as long in between as it was this time. And uh, but what I'll leave the Parkland, Florida massacre happened in the interim since I since I abandoned my faithful listeners. And God, the rhetoric around this. It's not a debate. Thank, you know, thank goodness for the kids taking on the movement here, the high school kids. You're soon to be young adults. And I know I hated when I was a senior in high school, people when I was 18 and able, old enough to vote, and people were still referring to you as a kid. You are. There's a lot of life to be gained. But they're young adults. Um, thank God for them because they're, they're, they're picking up where everyone else has just kind of thrown up their arms. And thank God for the teachers in West Virginia reminding the world that we are leaders in the labor movement in West Virginia. We are a truly progressive state, but it has to come from the people. Oklahoma looks like they're going to follow suit. And what's what I really love about that is that the rank and file of the union membership, they took up the leadership on this. The president's tried to tried to agree to a to a half-ass deal. 
And the rank and file said, no, we don't accept that. And we're not going back to work until we get something that actually, you know, will make it so not so teachers don't have to work two jobs or go on food stamps just to survive. Back to the Parkland students, I, I my solution for this is very well, it's it's and it's almost flippantly simple, and I apologize. But get the health insurance companies out of the business of denying people care. You know, the so-called health insurance companies, turn them into gun insurance companies and get them into the business of saving lives. There's a lot of details to be worked out there, but I, I'm I'm certain that if we just if we you know, we have to start by getting expanding Medicare, improving Medicare, and expanding it to everyone. So you get the health insurance companies pretty much out of that business. And if people want to supplement their care, you know, their Medicare for all, uh, with private health insurance, like people do around the world, uh, if they can afford that, let them. But then take the health insurance companies and get them into the business of lobbying for gun insurance. Right? I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. And then they'd actually be saving lives. So, that is your uh, 20 minutes plus some bonus minutes of, of, of Troy Miller wasting his breath. I think I forgot to introduce myself at the beginning of this episode. I was so excited to get back to talking to you all. So, remember to comment, criticize, share, do your part, you know. I was really hoping that if I took a month off, I'd come back and there'd be like thousands of listeners demanding more of Troy Miller's voice. But maybe we'll get there eventually uh, with your help. This has been Troy Miller's Waste of Breath Radio. Share, comment, like, tell your friends, tell them to like the Facebook page. And tune in next time.